Hello, tapeworms. Are you guys as in love with geek culture as I am? Sci-fi, I mean like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Star Trek, D&D, video game-inspired clothing and apparel? Well, we are here to help you get it. This stuff is fun as hell, and you're going to see something you want, I guarantee it. Here's what you do. You go over to BustedTees.com. Busted Tees, that's T-E-E-S as in t-shirts, dot com. Shop all their amazing stuff. Grab a hat, grab some socks, grab a shirt, whatever. Then at checkout, you enter our code, which I will give you. So take note right now. Our code is Jason25945. That is my name, Jason, and the number 25945. Do that for 20% off all your geek attire. Go over to BustedTees.com and be awesome. That's BustedTees.com. Designs that pop culture. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Who has a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? Who makes a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? Oh, come on, 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 come so come on and listen to our mixtape Sing along and clap to the beat Settle in and listen to our mixtape And now the music finishes Enjoy your pork chop sandwiches Hey gang, Jason Emmett here And man, am I happy to be talking with you guys uh, We have a treat for you An interview with the legendary Mark Kendall Guitarist and founding member of The One the only Great White. Yes, the band who brought us Once Bitten, Twice Shy, Rock Me, and Save Your Life. He's here with us today. You're going to get to hear it. Mark was a really fun guy to chat with. Just friendly and humble and a true lover of music. You can head over to officialgreatwhite.com to find out more or see where they're going to be performing. So please go do that. Uh, we ask him about the formation of the band. We ask him where the name came from, and hint, it's it was not the band was not named after a shark. Oddly enough, he's going to talk about that though. And we talk to him about what they're currently up to. Really, it was a good time, and we are just we are lucky and honored to be able to speak to some of the people we get to chat with here on the show. As is always the case, we highly encourage you to go check out everything all these people have done. Everyone we interview, please go listen to their stuff and show them some support. We really appreciate what they do. Hey, uh, before we kick this off, please take a moment to drop a show review. You know, click the stars or whatever, wherever you're listening to the show. If you take like 30 seconds to do that, it means so much to all of us here on the mixtape. And uh, like we appreciate you forever we love you you're the best also if you get a second why don't you drop us a voicemail or an email you know what's really funny is i i start to feel like some of you are an actual part of the show when you start to interact 
And that's like really, really cool. Like I just get used to talking to some of you. And that is probably one of my favorite things about doing this show. It's just so cool to get to to interact with you guys. Like considering how important you guys are to us and to the show kind of makes my day. Over on the website, which you can get to by going to themixtapeshow.com, or there's always themixtapepod.com, you're going to find links to interviews, merch, and a link down at the bottom to buy me a coffee. If you want to help support the show, that's really the easiest way to do it. Coming soon to the website, we're going to have direct links to all the Spotify playlists that are created for our music episodes. Uh, We're working on that now. And I'm also working on a little something else. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's going to take me a bit to get it done. But it will be really cool when we do. All right. So Matt's going to join me. And we're going to go into our interview with Mark Kendall from Great White. Uh, Before we do, I'm going to drop our social media info here. And then, then we're going to kick it right into the interview. So this is a special episode. And our normal episode will be coming later when, you know, on, on time, like usual. So here's our social media. Hey, you guys might not know this. You should because we talk about it all the time. But we have all the social medias you could want and more. That's right. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Most of those places you can find us if you look up the Mixtape Podcast. Or you could just go over to the website, which is themixtapepod.com. And there'll be links and everything. You can get it there. But uh, we also have a phone number. Matt, would you like to give the folks at home that phone number? Absolutely. Hey, guys, we have a phone number. And you can call it, leave a message, which we would almost definitely play. That number is 513-437-2377. Or if it's easier, just call 513-HERAD77. Call it and be cool. There you go. Guys, go check us out on all the social medias and be as cool as we are. Or, well, you're going to be cooler because we're not that cool. So how's it going today? Everything's going good. Getting ready to go play. We just played a couple shows. So, Mark, <laughs> that is that is my co-host, Matt. Hello. <laughs> oh, hey. How's it going, Matt? So we are, uh, That's we, my brother's no? name, actually. Oh, cool. My brother's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get started with you, man. I'd... Let's rock. So one of the first things we like to ask when we have people on, it's it's kind of a basic question, but it, it really helps us get to know you a little bit. And one of the things yeah. I like to ask people is, like, when you knew, like, you wanted to be a musician, like, what was it that kind of, like, screamed at you first? And who were some of your early influences that, that really, you know, drove you to do what you do? You know, believe it or not, I mean... I I did other things, Um, like when I was nine years old, I got a guitar, I was kind of uh, blown away by this band that was playing across the street, I was watching them through a little window in the side of the garage, and that kind of fascinated me, but I had other interests, you know, I did, you know, rode mini bikes, played baseball, you you know what I mean, so it was just like one of the things I did, it wasn't like you know, featured by any means. I, I did play for my fourth grade class um, with another guitar player. And, you know, I learned a few songs. By the, by the time, after one year, I think I knew four or five songs. You know, the Gloria, the Pipeline, <laughs> and stuff sure. like that. You know what I mean? Wipeout, Secret Agent Man. But uh, 
<laughs> so I just kind of plugged along and playing baseball. When I was 15, I was jamming with people. We didn't really have a singer that was like solid. Every once in a while, some guy would sit in and start singing, but but we were learning songs. And if I was kind of blown away by somebody like Alvin Lee or something, I would learn like I'm going home, try to do it note for note, spend hours on end every day doing that. But I was still playing baseball. What made me gravitate toward the music, which I loved the whole time uh, after I was in my later teenage years, was my arm was killing me after three innings of pitching. <laughs> and I was, the other thing was, I think, you know, my dad wanted me to go pro and all this stuff, but there was, I had, there was a couple guys on my own team that did everything better than me, hit more home runs, <laughs> ran faster, threw harder, you know, so I, I just kind of, it was kind of by default that I moved to music full time because I, I kind of had no chance at baseball. Well, it worked out. So, so, it know, worked out for all of us. Just to be honest, I mean, I'm trying to be honest here. But, uh, you know, I love music and I had a, a real good ear for it, you know, because my my dad was a musician. My mom sang. You know, my dad was a trumpet player. My grandpa was a, a rad uh, piano player. They all read music, could write it all out in charts, you know, so... I had this ear for music at a very young age. Yeah. You know, I just sing along with records and stuff. So I, I had that ability. And so I, I feel that my ability in music was, was better than sports for sure. Was your dad, <laughs> was your dad okay with it? Was he like, all right, we'll, we'll be all right. You're not going to go pro, but you're going to, you're going to go into music. He, he supported the music idea the whole time, but cool. he, he was, you know, he didn't really give me much of a chance, you know, because and I, you know, looking back, you know, just to kind of get inside of his head for a minute. I think that he thought since he didn't make it, that maybe it would be like a father like son thing. Sure. Because you know how pro baseball players they will have a son that comes up and all of a sudden their son's 20 and he's better than the dad, you know, right. or at least equally as good. It's kind of in the DNA. I have the DNA, and but even though he didn't make it, there was no money in jazz. So he really, it wasn't like he fought to get a record deal or anything. He just kind of had to support his family, so he had to have more income generated. And, and the way to do that is work, you know, regular jobs and you know, printing or whatever else he got into. Sure, sure. So I think he felt like maybe there was – I told him I have no chance at baseball, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if there's any chance at all in music, you know, I might as well go there because Joe and Frank over here, you know, can do everything better. They even get better-looking girls than I do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I had zero chance. So that's that's basically what got me going full time music, and I really did go full time. I was pretty relentless, you know. Right. Uh, playing in bands five sets a night, the whole night, Ooh. trying to write the best songs I could. Five sets and, a and night. And all that stuff, Ooh. and working <laughs> at a potato chip factory in the daytime. 
<laughs> hey, you got to start somewhere, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So uh, we like we like asking about guitars. So I'm going to go ahead and ask what I've seen. You you tend to play a lot of like Strat style guitars. Is there anything in particular that uh, draws you to that particular style yeah. of guitar? Yeah, I mean, I've always liked the Tele. Uh, there's things I like about the Tele uh, Telecaster and things I like about the Stratocaster. Sure. So yeah. I had a guitar made that's kind of like incorporates both elements. It's really musical, but it has a it's a little fatter in the wood department. What I have now, yeah. and for years, it, it took me so long to figure out how can I have my sound, you know, just the, the saturated tube distortion badass sound, or, or if I have a some kind of gain structure, how can I keep that gain structure because I love that sound, but make my notes louder? Yeah. And it took me a while to figure it out, um, just asking around, you know, with peers, like, like if I met Billy Gibbons, I wouldn't just tell him how great he is. I'd say, well, you know, what kind of pickups are you using? <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so what I did was I kept going lower and lower with the output of the pickup. And it hmm. got more musical. And I go, that's my answer. My pickups were too hot. So it was like I had a distortion pedal coming from my pickup. You know, yeah. it, it was like it was already distorted out, out of the guitar. So I made it really clean to where I can turn my volume down on my guitar and it sounds like an acoustic almost. You know, when I crank it up, I have my sound. And so when I'm playing chords blazing through a Marshall or whatever, you can hear the notes now better. You know, yeah. it's, I just don't like it when the distortion's louder than the notes. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially if I'm playing chord. Unless I'm, you know, have a seven string guitar and I'm playing in a, sure. in a death metal band or something. <laughs> and everything is just, you know, everything is like, you know, Iron Man chords, you know. I but, love uh, I love hearing how, you know, we talk to different people how they develop their sounds over the years and what you know, what they hear in their head and then how they just start sort of Frankenstein their guitars together to to, to make yeah. it do what they want it to do. I, I love yeah. hearing that stuff. It's so cool, man. Just like, yeah, you know, it, it's really, it, it's all about the, the, the musical thing. You know, you want a good sound, but I would say 90% of it comes from the hands. Yeah. You know, it's the way I play. If I play through your rig, it's just going to sound like me. Um, sure. Not that I have any special style or anything. It just, if Eddie Van Halen played through my rig, it would sound like Eddie Van Halen. It wouldn't, sound, you know. Sure. It, it's it's really a lot to do with your hands. Um, the way, you know, I use my fingers a lot. I do, I, you know, I squeeze notes a certain way. Like I, I made this example before, but I played on Glenn Hughes's solo album one time. And I didn't bring an amp. Almost every other guitar player brought their amp rigs. And I just went in there going, you, don't you guys have an amp I could use or something, you know? And they go, oh, I go, what about that that amp over there? It was an Ampeg little combo amp. I go, "Just is that working? And they go, yeah, yeah, that works. 
I plugged into it. I did my parts in like a half hour. And it sounded like everything I've done my entire life. Wow. You know? <laughs> so, so it's not, you know, because kids will come up to me, they go, what kind of pedal do you use on this? And what kind of guitar? And, and you know, what kind of effects you got? What, what kind of amp? You, I, I tell them, but I go, you know, if you get all that stuff, you're going to sound like you playing th- through my stuff. You know what I mean? Right. It's not yeah. going to really change that. It, it'll change a little bit. You're going to have a nice tone, but it's it won't make you better. What'll make you better if you go take lessons or, you know, or, you know, get uh, it, it, for your improvement. You know, it's better just to, to get lessons from some guy that plays way better than you. Sure. You know? But so, uh, yeah, so I, I I'm really inspired by improving my sound and and monkeying around. I, w- I was in Reno a few years ago, went into this vault uh, at a music store called Bizarre Guitars. This guy owns millions of dollars in gear. So you can go down into his vault and just trip on old old vendors and oh, old amps and old pedals. And he tells me, and you know, this is when, this is a few years ago, but Gibbons, Billy Gibbons was well into his 60s. He told me he was it, down in that vault for four hours checking out pedals. <laughs> <laughs> I just go, how inspiring is that? This guy's still trying to find it, you know, that's, and he's been playing for 50 years. That's you know? really cool. It, it, it just, I love that. I love hearing things like that. Yeah, that's really, really cool to hear, though. I mean, you knew fairly early on. I mean, you, you, were, you knew you wanted to be in a band. I know you had a few iterations, different bands, and then you ended up forming yeah. Great White. What I what I'm dying to know is I know some of the, there were multiple names and stuff before you guys settled on Great White. How did you come up yeah. with the name Great White? I've heard stories, but I'd rather get it from yeah. you. Well, uh, Jack Singer used to call me Great White when I do a solo, just like in a song live. You go, kid of the Great White, you know. <laughs> so what happened was we were playing in Hollywood at, at the Whiskey one night and there was an A&R man in the crowd from a small label called Enigma and he came back and gave us his card. We found out much later that he didn't hear that it was kind of my nickname on stage. And, and by the way, it wasn't my nickname walking around on the street. People didn't go, here comes great white or anything. It was just on stage when I do a solo or something, you know, he would say, he'd say, Kendall, the great white or whatever. So whatever that had to mean, I guess, cause I'm like the whitest guy in, on, in the world. Or something. <laughs> but anyways, what happened was the guy, this guy uh, called Alan Niven, he gave us his card and said, come down to the record label the following day. He wanted to talk to us. So when he was standing out in front of the whiskey, waiting for his car, I guess he valeted or something. Everybody was out smoking cigarettes, you know, it was in between bands or, or whatever. And I, he said, I drove by in a car and stuck my head out the back window and screamed something to the people on the street, you know, smoking cigarettes or whatever they're doing. And he said that a kid next to him pointed to the car and goes, there goes Great White. <laughs> well, at the time, we were called Dante Fox. 
Uh, he really liked us and thought we had potential, but hated our name with a passion. <laughs> he could not stand it. And, and that's one of the things he told us the next day. He goes, I really hear the potential in the band. I think you guys uh, could do something. I'd really like you to make an EP. And then we, we would try to sell it off to a major label eventually. And we go, that sounds great. He goes, but one thing that's got to happen, he goes, I cannot stand your name. It's got to go. Because any, anybody that's ever been in a band and, and you have to think of a band name, you know how tortured it, uh, torturous it is. Yeah, we got to think of a name. This is horrible. He goes, no, you don't. He goes, I got the name. Great White. And we're like, yuck. <laughs> like, we totally hated it. And here's why. We really didn't know what it could mean. You know, we didn't put the shark to it yet. Right. But me and the <laughs> singer used to go shark fishing in Long Beach. And one night we were shark fishing. This two weeks after we had this, this name that, you know, we had to compromise uh, about. And... It was almost like we came up with it at the same time. We're like, dude, great white sharks. Hello. Like, that's badass. <laughs> you know, now it has meaning, you know, sharks on T-shirts. I mean, and so then we liked it. And the reason we liked it besides the sharks is the name didn't dictate the music we had to play. We could, we could do whatever we wanted. We could just write however we want. And, you know, it's not like one of those names like Slayer or something to where every song kill your parents, you know. Right. <laughs> it, it's more like uh, like we could do a bell and it'll be fine, you know. So we like that. But we just didn't like the name at first because we're going, God, it could be considered racist, you know. <laughs> we, we, we had all kinds of stuff rolling through our head. And, and plus it was my nickname, so I felt I was kind of embarrassed by it, at, you know, or whatever. But, you know, it ended up being a great name. That's kind of how that happened. Yeah, it fits. I mean, and if it makes you feel better, I've been listening to you guys for, God, I don't even want to think how many years, and I never thought it sounded racist, so I think, I think you're no, okay. No, right. No, I just mean, you know, I actually, it's just things that rolled sure, through our heads sure. when we first said it, you know, we're going... Great white. That's kind of a weird name. You know, we just didn't have we thought of like a shark or right. something. It would have been like, Oh, that's that's fabulous, man. It's funny. Thanks for taking the heat off us and we don't have to think of it now. I'd heard that's cool. I'd kinda of heard rumblings of that story. That's why I wanted to ask, which I was like Yeah. So I just always assumed it was from from the shark, you know, so it was kind of cool to hear, to hear you uh, tell yeah. the story about where it yeah. actually came from. Had it been, had it been from the shark, it would have made it a lot easier on us. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> so you you kind of mentioned your first EP uh, that you guys, you know, you get you got with Niven and you guys did your first EP. Was it out of the night? Right? Was that was that the first yeah. EP? Yeah, you did pretty uh -huh. well. Uh, the EP dropped. I mean, for an independent release, the the EP actually did pretty well. I think. Did great. Yeah. It did great for a little local thing. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing that really helped us was KMET, which was one of the biggest stations in LA, was playing a song off the album in rotation, literally heavy rotation. So that was kind of unheard of because we really didn't have a proper record deal on a small label. We had a distribution deal. We had no record deal with Enigma. They, uh, 
Allen's business partners did not want to sign us because they had signed Berlin and, you know, Motley Crue was gone, but they'd signed Berlin and his partners thought that was the way to go. You know, like go for more of the, the new age yeah. type vibe with drastically the different, whatever, right? You know, that more of that vibe instead of the heavy rock band. So he goes, well, I like these guys and I'm going to take them on myself. Just, uh, please allow me to distribute, you know, distribute their, their EP on green world, which was their distribution company. So then all of a sudden he Niven through his business skills was able to get one of our songs playing alongside it. Guys like Tom Petty, you know? Right. So it was crazy. It was absolutely unheard of that a local band with no record deal is playing in rotation on a big station. That's and I'm pretty telling cool. you, that really <laughs> helped us. Uh, the buzz, nobody could understand it. It, it was just like mind blowing. A lot, our stars were really starting to line up for us, you know. That's pretty cool. And um, yeah. yeah, and we went to about nine labels in two weeks. And and went with EMI America, which only had Queens Reich. Our thinking was, oh, we're going to get all kinds of attention now because they don't have, you know, a million bands. It ended up kind of being a mistake, but lucky for us, we got our second opportunity with Capital, which was yeah. just another thing that was unheard of. So you need a lot of luck. You need things to go your way. But we, I really feel we worked really hard. And, you know, they say that people that work the hardest get the luckiest. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe, you know, so, um, you know, we're really grateful for um, the way things worked out. Yeah. So I imagine things kind of started to move pretty fast right after that. Can you tell us a little bit about what the early days with the band was like? Um, yeah, it did kind of move fast because um, I think after we'd done that EP, we'd only played clubs in a few larger halls you know uh, once we started getting that airplay we were able to play for 1500 and 2000 people wow you know we that did shows with like motorhead and stuff like that and just you know on, on local but like nice halls and sure and, uh, you know so we were out of the backyards and <laughs> we were still playing clubs but uh then we played magic mountain and that was about 6,500 people. So, you know, our, our following just kind of grew, wow. and it's really by that airplay. You know, there's a lot to say about when you're on the radio. And uh, we flew Michael Wagner, the producer, out from Germany to do the EP. And Don Dawkin helped us with that EP, <laughs> those five songs. And then pretty much uh, Michael Wagner did our first full length album and our first tour was in Europe in, well, in the UK, Scotland, Ireland, that type vibe, you know, all over England with Whitesnake, a very early version of Whitesnake with Cozy Powell and John Sykes and, you know, much different than the one we toured with in the latter part <laughs> of the eighties. And after we did that tour for, couple three months i believe we got the judas priest tour in in the u.s so we went and met those guys in niagara falls new york and we played with them for five or six months 
And then we went home and the record company said we didn't sell enough records. <laughs> and uh, so our contract was for six albums, but you do two and then there's an option, you know, you renegotiate, whatever. But they said they really didn't want to put anything into our second album. So they're basically telling us, you know, let's part ways and... And that and was EMI. So we essentially were dropped off of EMI America. Yeah. So we had no deal now. We had this album. And we got our name out there a little bit, you know, but we had no record deal. So we went and made a record on our own, borrowed 15000 from some guy named Fred. He, he was uh, like, I think he was a family member type guy of, of, a guy, of a guy called Wynn Davis, who was the engineer, operator, owner of the studio we recorded the album at in Redondo Beach called Total Access. With that 15,000, we made an album called Shot in the Dark and got a, I guess you would call it a minor hit. And we'd already had that radio play, you know, so sure. even though we're dropped off a label, we still had the name in LA. Right. You know, we, not everybody disowned us. You know, <laughs> The label said bye, but, you know, we still had friends. And so <laughs> it wasn't KMET, but Kayla West jumped on this song called Face the Day. And they were playing it like it was the number two song of the year. And we also got airplay in Texas and I, I believe Arizona with the same song. And it was enough to get the attention of Capitol Records, who was the father company of the label that dropped us, EMI America. So Weird. that's another thing that you can't figure out, right? No. <laughs> you know, our, our career is really, really uh, something else. It's a, uh, anyway, so this A&R dude came down and saw us at a club called The Coach House in San Juan Capistrano, California, and signed the band that night. So here it comes, our second opportunity. And they wanted, you know, they, they were going to kind of, we fixed a couple songs on Shot in the Dark, you know, kind of remixed a few things because we kind of rushed it. And they put it out, but they go, we want you guys to go in the studio. We don't want you to tour on this record, this shot in the dark thing. We want you to go make a record. And so, and so that's what we did. It was, you know, it's a do or die record. I mean, you know, if we sure. went in and made a crap record, I mean, you know, I you don't we, know if there'd have been have a third. Been no, yeah, it would have been completely <laughs> over with, but, but luckily we made a good record and, um, <laughs> you know, we got us that hit with rock me, which, uh, you know, somehow caught on to MTVs and, and the fans and the radio. Yeah. So, so that, you know, it, that was the first time. So after all this grinding, doing two records and failing, we, we made a record with a real label who had marketing dollars and all that. And uh, we went out there and fought and just toured nonstop. I think and, and uh, you know, sold a couple million records. I think it's so, pretty telling. They, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of bands have stories like that, like Ario Speedwagon. I'm at, 
we played with a lot of bands where they had two albums and but you didn't know they had two albums sure it, it's like because we only know about their third one that went all huge <laughs> you know so a lot of bands uh, have to work really hard you know i've yet to hear an overnight success story i mean it's it's a weird industry and it's it's pretty telling that i mean you guys obviously had a sound like people these guys are coming in and they're hearing it and they're like, there's something here, man. We, we all hear it. And I, I think it's great that you guys got the opportunity to kind of hone it and then deliver it. And then we got it, you know, the fans got it, which is great. Yeah. And like you said, you guys yeah. were out there for a while, you know, hoofing it, making a name for yourself. I know you toured, like you said, with Judas Priest, uh, you toured with Kiss. Yeah. I mean, you guys were out there and then finally, you know, you get a chance to make the album that you made and then you get a chance to make the next album that you make, um, which right. obviously is is once bitten, and people lose their minds. Like you guys release this album, and it's like everybody well, kind of goes nuts. And it's it, like the well, other thing. The other thing I was going to say is, it. I used to do what I call noodling. Okay, our first album was kind of like almost. We were just trying to be like heavy metal or something. We were just a trio you know bass guitar drums and, and a lead singer the scorpions and jesus priest were kind of flying under the radar they weren't big commercial bands and we wanted to be like them so we were trying to write even though it didn't sound like them we, we were trying to be like that but my true influences are from people like carlos santana and johnny nice. winter those type of players so when i would noodle in between songs and stuff it got the full attention of the manager and he said, you should be doing the, that noodle stuff that you do. That should be the music you're playing. And so by the time we did the third record, I go, you mean I'm just free to play whatever's <laughs> in my head? He goes, that's what I mean. And so, and so it's funny when you think about it, that as soon as I was honest with myself and the band were honest with themselves, the people liked it. And when we were trying to be like Judas Priest, you know, it didn't really sell that sure. good. So I think there's a lot to say about that. Um, and, you know, it, it almost reminds me, you know, you, you can put it to other different things in the industry, like look at Rodney Dangerfield's career. He started out, he was called Jack Roy. Didn't really know what he was doing on stage, had puppets and was doing like impressions. Went away and then came back and had all these jokes written that he wrote over 11 years and totally got it right yep. the second time around. That's kind of the way our career's gone. We had a couple albums that, you know, there was some good sounds there, but songwriting could have been better and this, that and the other. And then we got it right on the third album and kind of played, you know, the people that made us want to improve and get better. Um, we just played from that. You know, we just played what came out of sure. us. It was, nothing was forced. You know, we just tried to make the best music we could. And it ended up having a little more blues overtones. Yeah. And, uh, that end of it kind of comes from me because everyone I've ever listened to was a feel type player. So even though we have keyboards and stuff like that, you hear that the blues in there somewhere. 
<laughs> it's it's kind of a trippy band in a way. You know, <laughs> when we play together in a room somewhere, it always sound has a sound to it. it just like any band would. I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, whatever. It, it, it's if I jam with two or three other guys, it would sound like that. You know, so I'm right. not trying to put it on any pedestal. I, I just mean it does make a sound when we play together in a room. <laughs> I mean, you know who it is when we play. Yeah. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just it does have a sound though. That's good. I've seen you guys live, man, and it's fun. You guys, I mean, it's you're fun. And you definitely kind of hear the kind of the the kind of jazzy bluesy kind of influences, and yeah. uh, I mean it's there, and it's it's you guys are blasting. I learned man. from so many people growing up, going from guitar player to when I was fourteen. It was all I was all, in fourteen and fifteen. It was all about Carlos Santana. I, I wanted to change my name to Carlos. That's how much I like that guy. <laughs> and then when I seen him, that Woodstock performance, when he's squeezing notes and he's like bleeding from the eyes. I mean, I just go, man, I, how can anybody feel a note that much? I mean, it's just absolutely disgusting. And and uh, so there was something about that because I knew it didn't come from anything that was on paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just... At that moment, he felt like Feels that, it, yeah. and he squeezed that note because he felt that way, you know. And and I, I just really gravitated to that, and and kind of, uh, you know, wanted to feel what I played, you know, and and like it, not be a real, so much a technician, but somebody that had melody and purpose. I love hearing that. I, I have to ask you, you you were talking about Alan Niven, and I heard another story, and I have to ask if it's true. Yeah. I heard that he figured out uh, kind of a tricky way. You'd mentioned some of the, the radio plays for some of the songs, and I heard he'd kind of come up with a tricky way to get radio stations to play some of the longer songs. So I have to ask about the uh, three-minute, 59-second thing. Is this true? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, see, what happened was the reason I was paranoid, because, you know, having two albums in a row and going without a record deal for a year and a half, and then the idea was to put out a song that's seven minutes, <laughs> I, I, even though when you sit and listen to it, it doesn't figure out, it doesn't seem It that doesn't, long. it really doesn't. <laughs> There's a lot of dynamics in the song, and I think that's why. If it was all flying, you know, straight across, just kind of one level, then you you probably maybe hit the pause button and you know come back later and listen to the rest. But so what happened was I was real a, a little bit parent. I was just being paranoid, really. But Niven did that funny ass trick uh, when they sent the song to radio. Well, every song on the album. <laughs> says three minutes and 59 <laughs> seconds and we literally <laughs> never heard a complaint or anyone pointing it out or saying hey this is this song's not 359 <laughs> it's seven minutes nobody ever said shit and the funny thing is probably by the time they did figure it out the phones had already lit up and the song was like uh, you know a big big hit you know 
but it was really done tongue in cheek. It wasn't like we were trying right. to cheat anybody. <laughs> it just we just put you know 359 at every song, and it's almost <laughs> like somebody doing some kind of maybe they're on the road and they always have this little doll in every picture just to see if anybody notices, you know? <laughs> and, and so every single picture that you see of this band in the background, they have this little frog or something. Right. But yes, you, you want to see if anybody points it. Hey, what's that frog in every picture? And nobody ever says anything. <laughs> it's kind of like one of those deals, you know, it's like, God, can you believe no one said anything about this song being seven minutes? <laughs> this is hysterical. You know, the only the only ones that figured it out um, right out of the gate and told us was MTV. Right. <laughs> they said, you know, they wouldn't even give Madonna five minutes, you know. Right. Or maybe they would, but that, not us. So so we had to edit the song down to, sev- to from seven to five minutes. And it was impossible. So we went in and re-recorded the whole song. We we just recorded the whole song. We cut a couple <laughs> verses in half, did this and that. But the solo stayed, which I couldn't believe. I'm going, <laughs> God, you're actually going to keep the solo. Usually when somebody wants to take edit a song, their solo is the first thing to go. But th- this time I, they kept my solos and fills and everything. And we just uh, made... We played the edits instead of when when you cut up a tape too much, it doesn't sound natural. We tried everything; it didn't work. Plus, it wasn't in the day of the computers or the Pro Tools. Right. We, we were cutting two-inch <laughs> tape. It's actual tape, right? I mean, literally yeah. with scissors and you know Exacto knives and stuff. You, you it was if- a nightmare. Um, but we gave them their five minutes and and did the the video. You wonder if the, the if people today understand some of the yeah. some of the difficulties in creating music back then versus today. You couldn't just oh, you couldn't punch yeah. in one we, word. You know, it didn't we, work. We that mentioned way. that a while here's back, ex- actually. Here's an example of it. If if we had to cut a part out of a tape, that was a lunch break. We're literally <laughs> yeah. an hour and a half. We yeah. just take oh, off for God. lunch while they do it. Yeah. Now it's just a click of a mouse. Yep. I mean, you can change your whole song around and. Four minutes, you know. I watched so, my. Uh, I was telling you, my yeah. stepdad uh, had a recording studio, and I watched him once. I, I I don't remember what it was. Somebody was recording a song, and he, he's like, "That take is great," but they didn't add an S to the end of that word, and it sounds weird. He literally just had them punch in and until he got the S at the end of a word. Oh, we, we've yeah. done that several times. Yeah, it's nuts. No, we've done that several <laughs> times. Uh, inserted an S by yeah. cutting tape. I, we used to have this engineer that used to cut squares out of the tape. That's it was insane. like the freakiest shit ever. It's so I didn't even want to watch it. I was so afraid we'd have to play the song again. Like it goes, oops, I slipped with my razor said, blade. Oops. Guys, come back in. I, you can get one better anyways. <laughs> God, I love it. And the other thing was we had to get the drums perfect. You, you know, we couldn't overdub the drums yep. back then. Yep. Now you can. Yep. Um, it's a different world. So there's some pressure there. You know, it, it's like um, I play pool and my friend's a world champion. And he said, he says to me, the most challenging thing is to bring your practice game into the tournament or into the gambling match, you know. <laughs> Like, play just how you play on your practice table, but under the lights and all the money and all that. 
So when that red light comes on and you're you're a desperate man, I mean, you know, you you got to be loose and you got to play great. But you feel the pressure. There, yeah. There's pressure. You, you know that if the drummer dogs it, you got to do it again. <laughs> you know, so really the most pressure's on him. <laughs> so really, I'm just sitting there feeling for him. I man, don't blow it. We got like thirty seconds left. Don't blow that one fill, and you know, it's <laughs> it's funny, man. So you followed up once bitten with twice twice shy, which is a great great name for a follow up album on that one. And like nine yeah. or ten more albums after that. So really, you guys never stopped making any music. Right. So what what changed as far as your sound over the years, like both with the band and on a personal level? Not not really a lot. I'm I'm constantly. Uh, trying to challenge myself in, in the sense of not really reinvention as opposed to just improve the songwriting a little bit, um, come up with riffs that I haven't played before but are still tasty. Yeah. That's yeah. a challenge. Um, I got a couple things now that I'm pretty pleased with. Try to put surprises in there dynamically that sound like amazing that really suck people in that I think will, you know, we can always get better. I like being creative. You know, I, I don't think that I could just go out there every year and just be an oldies band and, and really from the heart be truly like into it to the sure. max, just out there selling the same painting every year. It's like, I have to be creative. Yeah. And even if it does, you know, it's not going to sell a million records or whatever. That's not even the point. Sure. It's the fact that I keep painting. I'm I keep yeah, going exactly. for it, you know. And I have the pipe dream that I'm going to write the best song of my life. You even never know. If it might <laughs> yep. not happen. But it, it, who knows? It might. It could. I might come up with a song that just blows mine. So, you, you know, it's not impossible. No, it's it's very it's very possible. It's very possible. It could happen. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you you say that because um, I don't want to you know sound like we're just dropping people's names, but we just talked to uh, Ivan Dorschuk from Men Without Hats recently, and he said something that kind of went along those lines. It kind of stuck with me. And he was like, you know, back in the eighties, he's like, I always felt like we were competing because there were like ten spots or whatever. We felt like we we're always pushing for one of those spots. And he's like, nowadays when when I when I get to record or I, I get to go out and I get to tour, I get to enjoy it on a different level because now I'm kind of yeah. doing it more for me and because of my desire and my want. And I don't feel like there's some yeah. big competition. I mean, do you, do you feel that way? Do you feel that touring is a lot different now or is it, is it pretty much the same as it used to be? Or is there less pressure, more pressure? I think... Because we're not so tied in with the music business as much as before, it does make you feel a little more free. Yeah. Um, the only thing I don't like about music is the business. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't mean to sound negative, but as hard as you're working to write the best songs you can possibly write, there's somebody else working twice as hard to separate you from the money. Yeah. And that sounds negative, but it's just the way it is. But I don't feel bad and I haven't been ripped off 
horribly or, you know, <laughs> really taken advantage of that bad. But I can tell you this. I've heard stories from bigger bands than us yeah. that have really even lost their publishing, like Grand Funk. I mean, the story after story. I mean, it just never ends. Eagles, you, you name it. Uh, upper echelon bands that sign bad deals. So it actually takes the heat off me a little bit. I don't feel as bad. Well, it's, <laughs> you know. Oh, man, that guy got ripped off way worse than me. Everything's great. Well, it's, you know? it's cool, too, when a band like your, yourself, you know, you guys get to stick around. And then later, it's like you get to get through all the kind of like you said the businessy side of things that probably isn't always as much fun for a creative person yeah. and then and then one day you're like okay we we've done that and now we know we can make a career and a living out of this now we're we're kind of free to to do some of the which is yeah some of the stuff we want to do that's what's great that's what's great about it all those hours that we spend yeah writing the songs and getting them right and going over and over like one line uh, we're trying to come up with three words or whatever, you know, all those hours and, and all that music, it withstood the test of time. Yeah. And in a way almost dwarfs the band. And I, I mean, not totally, but I, I know there's songs out there that you could play for somebody and they wouldn't even know the name of the band. <laughs> I, and we're not a faceless band, but, but our songs, a lot of, a lot of people like, have memories of when our songs came out, yeah. what they were doing and stuff like that. And, and we hear those stories. Oh, when I was in high school, dude, I remember, you know, got laid in the back of a, you know, it's a miracle. <laughs> if it wasn't for rock me, it would have never happened. <laughs> <So cool>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's funny because it, it's not an ego trip for me. It, it, it's a blessing. It's like, I sit there on it and I go, I know what I was doing with a lot of songs came out yeah. and I, I, I'm a fan too. So I'm relating to this dude. It, it's really cool that, that we have music that could do that, but I relate to it. I'm like, dude, I, I know when waiting for the bus came out where I was, I know exactly what I was doing. I was at these apartments. I was playing with these two guys and, and we were playing for a bunch of people that lived there. When that song, when that album Trace Umbridge came out, yeah. So I have all kind of stories like that. Um, that I, you know, where where the songs create a memory or bring you back to a place in your life. It's... And I run into people like that, <laughs> you know. And it's it, it's a great feeling that that music that you make can be part of someone's life and give them joy in in any way. Or, or bring back a cool memory or whatever. You know, it, it's great to be a part of all that. Like everything you just said is something we literally say on this mm -hmm. show all the time. And yep. is that music for for so many of us out there, it, it, it can take you back instantly to a place in your life, a very specific time in your life, and bring back feelings that you might have even totally forgot about. And it's really cool because oh. you guys get to be a part of that now. You you know, the music you've created is going to do that for someone else. So that's really, really I can cool. tell you, uh, like Highway Star, I automatically go to this house where we used to crank that album, and I can actually envision yeah. the walls, the carpet, uh, everything. It, it's like that song, we play it over and over. 
Highway Star, man, by Deep Purple. It's a really cool Such thing. Such a great song. Yeah. Yep. Such a sick song. <laughs> so cool. It is so cool that yeah, you can do that. It is cool. It makes you feel like a teenager in a way just to yeah. think of stuff like that. Music's know? powerful. It's it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing, man. Super powerful. Super power. <laughs> uh, we have a couple more real quick things to ask you. I know Matt wants to... Yeah, no worries. Uh, so the first question is... Have you ever met or had any interaction with David Byrne from the Talking Heads? And if so, what was the story? You know, part of the reason I probably haven't is because I haven't ran into him because our music, our, our you know, I've met a lot of people that play way different kind of music. Yeah. Um, but mainly because they were either on the same label or, and I ran into him at a party or something. But we've just never played a show with them, and I just had no way to meet them. I, I just haven't ran into them anymore. Have you ever met or had any experience with Weird Al Yankovic? Actually, no. But, uh, you know, I I have some respect for him. Uh, he put a lot of effort into the what he did. I, I, I think he's probably a, a pretty good guy. And he, he seemed like he worked pretty hard at, at his comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he did it pretty good. I mean, I, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. I'll just say, have you ever met uh, Tracy Lords? Tracy Lords. We get that a lot, too. Tracy Lords. <laughs> oh, wow. No, but you know what? Uh, I, I just remember her being around a lot of different bands and stuff. You used to hear about her a lot back in the day. But I never met her personally. <laughs> we ask a third question, and again, there's a, there's a good reason we started asking it. Um, when we started asking musicians about some of their early influences, this one thing kept coming up. So then we just started asking yep. the third question. So, Matt, do you want to go ahead and ask that? Yeah. If you were a Muppet, which Muppet would you be and why? Um, really, the first one that popped in my head, I think... The name was Kirby. Was that a Muppet? I'm not. I'm not okay. super familiar with the the Muppets. Um, oh, you know what I remember? What's his name? Ernie. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of a funny, <laughs> funny Muppet. I'll I'll be Ernie. He'll be Ernie. Oh, Ernie. <laughs> Ernie, right. Kend Ernie Kendall. And for the record, there is a uh, a Muppet named Kirby. There's a uh, Kirby and Jeffy. They are pigs. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. There you go. And Ernie, they Did used I... to talk to another Muppet. Uh, Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie, yeah. Bert and Ernie, that yep. was it, yeah. Yep. Before we let you go, um, are you guys you guys touring right now? Yeah. You know, you yeah, wanna... we've been playing. I wouldn't really call mm -hmm. it touring as much as, uh, you know, we do. We try to do at least 60 shows a year, if possible, and, it, and it's mostly fly dates. So we just do that thing and uh, play around the country. You know, we try to get over to Europe, you know, maybe do some festivals in Germany. If there's a tour that makes sense, we might go go up over there for like six weeks or something. And yeah. it, it's kind of fun, too, because back in the day, like, say, we played maybe opening for the Scorpions or something. Or maybe do a headlining tour, bring out like Shanker, maybe the Bullet Boys or whatever. These days, one week we might play with Sticks, the next week REO Speedwagon, you know. And it, it's fun because we're meeting people that we didn't meet That's back in cool. the day. 
That's cool. And it's kind of cool, especially if they're an upper echelon band that you kind of enjoy and their music uh, meant something. And then you meet them personally and they're all cool and down to earth and stuff. It, yeah. it, it's, I don't know. I, I kind of like that, you know. And we, yeah. we've been treated so well over the years by bands like Judas Priest and Scorpions. We like people and we, we try to treat everybody good. So it, it's fun when we get that back and meet somebody new, like a Tommy Shaw or something. The guy's cool as crap, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. I always kind of wondered how that guy would be. He's the nicest guy I ever met in my life. I can't believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like yeah. the singer, the singer for uh, what's his name? Um, for REO, I talked to him for like a half hour. We just sat and talked. It, it was like the nice, the nicest, like friendly neighbor or something, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, so these guys are humble. You know, you, you meet your heroes like uh, Billy Gibbons. When I first met him, I went to his dressing room because our tour manager was their tour manager. Their tour manager was our tour manager for five years. So he hooked it up to where I could meet Billy one on one. He treated me like he's known me like his whole life. Uh, emailed me when they played in town and invited me and my wife to the show yeah, so cool. you know i'm just going i can't believe it yeah, man. This so guy cool. is, he doesn't even understand how big it is i don't think anybody does i think even though to you they're larger than life and superheroes to you i don't think they really understand that like they they don't feel like they're that big of a deal as you envision them to be. Yeah. So then you go to meet him and they're just this down to earth Joe and they're, you know, very humble and nice. And, you know, you're just going, it's God, man, it's kind of is, the magic trip. It's kind of the magic of us doing this show too, man. I, we tell, we oh, literally yeah. tell everyone this, but it's magical. We reach out to the people that we're interested in and we want to talk to and so far, they've all been like you, just really nice and easy to talk yeah. to. We have not run into the asshole yet. And, yeah. and well, you know, you know, when you're a teenager <laughs> and you really didn't picture like Led Zeppelin driving through Taco Bell. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I do now. Are, like, these guys are aliens. Right. I mean, they, you know, right. they, they don't do anything that we do. They're they're too uh, they're too huge. You know. That they just they just pop on stage and and they you know they just make this magical music they're not like us you know that it's just a teenage mentality you, you they're they're really like superheroes in the sense that like when you're a kid you believe that Batman is real you I tried to fly off a house once when I was seven years old I thought you know I got my cape and everything it should should work out you know yeah. And, you know, so I, I think we as young youngsters, we, we really put bands on this massive pedestal. We just think they're superheroes, you know. Yeah. And, and then, but when you meet them all these years later and they're peers and they're just sweet, it, it's almost a relief in a way. It's like you just go, man, that is so cool. This guy I've worshipped my whole life. Yeah. He's the nicest guy it's, in the world. It's yeah. been pretty great. You it's know. awesome, man. I yeah. love it. Uh, Mark, we appreciate you coming on, man. You've been great. Uh, like I said, we've been so lucky that 
when we reach out and so far, like everybody we've had the chance to talk to, it's just, it's been fun for us. Um, we get to talk to people that we've, you know, we've been listening to and following our whole lives and it's, it's always great to have people on. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us a few minutes. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Right on, buddy. All right. Thanks, you guys.